Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome to the program. I'm Andy. Thank you for tuning in on this frigid, yes, it is kind of cold Thursday, although the winds aren't as bad as they were yesterday. Yesterday, it felt like we were in Logan or something. That's how cold it was. But uh, uh, And you know what? Uh, I let Jeremy and Jesse leave the blinds down, ruining my view. I don't know if Danielle has been in here, but uh, usually I have a really great view, but we got to get those blinds up during the... Oh, here comes Melody. See, Melody needs a raise. Oh, thank she you, She needs Melody. to make more than what she makes now, which is nothing. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's great to be here. Danielle Larkin is with me on... Yes, it's Mayor Thursday, but our mayor right now is not well. Danielle, she's got like pneumonia or something like that. So uh, we want Mayor Randall to get better. Part of getting better is not coming on and doing a radio show. Yeah, if you, I think you had the opportunity to talk to her this week, and her voice yeah. sounds terrible. Mine's yeah. mine's second. My voice doesn't sound great this week, but not nearly as bad as hers. So hopefully Michelle will get lots of rest. I I would guess she's probably listening to the show and and she'll critique us later. But I hope so. Uh, get better, Mayor. <laughs> we we do want her to get better, uh, Michelle. Uh, we wish her the best, Michelle Randall. Hopefully that that she'll start to heal up soon. I guess at this point she's not uh, hospital bound, uh, but they tell her if she doesn't improve, she might end up there. So we don't we do not want that. Having been in the hospital three times in the last year and a half, I can tell you it's not a fun place to be. Uh, bless our hospital. The nurses and everyone that works there, but it's still, as a patient, not a fun place to be. You're right. We're so lucky that we have this wonderful hospital, but none of us really want to spend time there. No, absolutely not. Well, Daniel, thanks for coming on the show. I know you've been on before, but not a lot. How many times have you been on the show? I think I've been on twice, twice. And, okay. and usually with Jeremy. So Jeremy, I came on with Jeremy oh, once okay. and then with you once, so... Jeremy is your cousin, by the way. I think you probably yep. hear. Now, is Jeremy your husband? Or Everybody no? asks yeah. me that. <laughs> he and my husband are first cousins. Their dads are brothers. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. So you're actually cousins-in-law. Correct. To, to Jeremy. Yep, that's right. Okay. Uh, do, do you, being cousins with him and, and seeing him a lot in the public eye, do you get some insight real, real estate-wise with Jeremy? Does I mean... Oh, yeah. Jeremy and I talk about real estate all the time. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Such an interesting subject, especially in our community with our housing shortage um, and the high prices. It's it's a constant challenge for our community, for, you know, workers who are in desperate need of housing. So we're having that conversation all the time. I got a text from someone, and, and it actually reminded me a question I was going to ask you today. Uh, and I, I was going to ask Jeremy, too, but didn't get to it. But uh, is uh, the governor actually in a, in a, I mean, it was kind of a side topic, but he was talking, he said, well, we'd appreciate it if the Californians would stay in California and not come <laughs> here. I don't know if you heard about that. And what do you think about it? I heard he said that, yeah. you know, I mean, it's an interesting topic, right? Because none of us want to be told where we can and can't move. I mean, I know as Utahns, we really right. value our opportunity to move about freely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his statement was, at least my interpretation of it is that we need to be growing more incrementally and not having people just pouring into the state as fast as possible. And obviously, one of our challenges is being able to have our children, our natural growth, be able to stay in their own home if they so desire. And I'm not sure how we 
there's no overnight fix for that. But that's, you know, maybe my interpretation of what he was saying is we need to grow a little more incrementally. Well, and, and I would add to that for the Californians that are thinking about leaving, maybe maybe they're tired of it. Maybe they're tired of fighting the fight. But it would seem like to me the better plan would be to change California from the inside instead of just leaving it. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the politics where you live, right. uh, maybe start a movement to change those politics a little bit. I love I love that because I, I feel the same way here to me. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about our democracy is that if we don't like the way it's working, we can have those smart conversations about mm-hmm. how do we change it. For me, the residents that I appreciate the most are the ones who show up with ideas. You know, they say, I don't like how this is going. And here's my idea of how we could do it differently. And that's always appreciated. Yeah, for sure. I have I have friends from California. They live here now. And uh, they have for a couple of years, but they were, they, we actually, when we went on this trip, this, the first of the year to the Pasadena to the parade, but we ended up up in, I think it's Simi Valley up where the Ronald Reagan library is. And uh, they were, it was beautiful. I mean, and that's the thing about it. California is incredibly beautiful. There's Gorgeous. some amazing things about it. And my friend said, yeah, we left here. I said, you left such a beautiful place. He says, yeah, the biggest problem with this place is it's in California. (laughs) Other than that, it's gorgeous. Well, Andy, okay, so the number one thing that I hear as a city council person Mm -hmm. from residents all the time, we don't want to be like Los Angeles. Mm. And you and I are going to talk about transportation today. And that is, to me, the thing that if we keep following the same formula, as far as transportation goes, we will be Los Angeles. Mm, if we just keep widening roads and we just keep making people drive further and further for necessities, you know, we will end up being LA. So that's, you know, an important part of our future decision making when it comes to transportation is people are coming here because they don't like the bad air quality. They mm-hmm. don't like the long commutes. Mm-hmm. They don't like the traffic congestion. But you can't build more roads to fix that. All it does is induce demand. So, I mean, you have a 13-lane highway and you increase it to a 17-lane highway. It doesn't ever stop the traffic. It just uh-huh. brings more traffic. More more cars fit into that space. So that's, that's, that's an interesting point. part of that's the conversation. We, we do not want a 90-minute commute here. And you know, I have friends who, uh, who have come here from California and it takes them 90 minutes to go 20 miles yeah and here it takes 20 minutes to go 20 miles you know i mean that's that's the way it should be right and uh, and so obviously yeah we want we don't want that to happen uh all right let's talk about transportation a little bit we had the transportation expo recently yeah that was a a cool and informative event i know a lot of listeners on kdxu were able to go out and get the lowdown on things like uh, mile post 11 you know exit 11 coming in and, and a possibility they're still in the uh, beginning stages on 700 South exit there, which is kind of a hot button topic. We could talk about that, but let's talk yeah. first about, uh, tell me a little bit about your involvement with, uh, I forget what you call it. Is it complete uh, roads? Complete streets. Complete streets. Yeah. Tell, what does that mean? Help people understand what that means and why you think okay. it's important. Well, complete streets means balancing our investments um, in road, transit, bike, pedestrian infrastructure, Um, You know, the investments that we've already made in infrastructure, like how do we make those streets most usable for Hmm. all users? Because if you think about it, because we've become such an auto-centric society, and I am not anti-car. I own a business that is very reliant on cars. I have a whole fleet of trucks for my business. Okay. But that being said, 
we can never build enough roads f- to not have congestion. So we have to start looking at how do we drive less? You know, so if I live in a home in Little Valley, can I drive one mile to a grocery store or walk or bike one mile to a grocery store instead of having to drive six miles to the grocery store? And the inequity of if there's only one six mile, you know, drive to the grocery store, anybody who lives six miles from it and doesn't own a car is forced into car ownership, right? Yeah, they have no choice. Right. So really making our community a place where if you chose not to have a car, that you could do so. Another thing that, you know, is a secondary benefit to that is we're already looking at air quality. We've been lucky so far. Our air quality has stayed pretty good. Mm -hmm. But we're right at the brink of our air quality being pushed to the point where emissions are, you know, we have to have our emissions tested again. Yeah, we don't want that. Right. And we've just been able to hover right below that. And we live in a bowl like Salt Lake City where if we start allowing terrible congestion and we have, you know, really bad emissions, we will end up with asthma. I mean, all those things that come, all the public health problems that come from, you know, increased car use. So how do we make smart decisions going forward as a county, really, so that we don't become Phoenix, Los Angeles, um, Las Vegas, all those places that are struggling with bad air quality, bad congestion, you know, traffic congestion, and um, making those decisions basically is what Complete Streets is all about. And then the secondary part of Complete Streets is looking at the actual physical infrastructure of the street. And if you are in a wheelchair, if you're on foot, if you're a child, 40% of our community is below the age of 16 or above the age of 70 with no driver's license is the demographic, is that 40% of our community doesn't have the capacity to even drive a car. So are we thinking about those people in all of the decisions that we make with our transportation? And UDOT, you know, speaking of the Transportation Expo, UDOT has been amazing in changing their model from an auto-centric, how do we get cars as fast as possible from point A to point B? Their model has changed to how do we move humans? And what does that mean? Meaning if they're on foot, if they're on bike, if they're on scooter, if they're in a wheelchair, how do we move them around in our society? I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to go for a walk. A walk is right now a, a it's something you do as a pastime, as a hobby, as, as a pleasure. You're talking about now changing the mindset. So going for a walk means, you know, I need to pick something up at the store. Can, right. I, can I walk to that or can right. I ride my bike to that or, or something? So how does, but before we get, get go forward on this, how, how do electric cars then fit into all this? Because I see maybe an electric car as being an answer to some of the emissions problem, pollution problems, but it does not solve the congestion problems. No, it doesn't solve the congestion problems. The way electric cars fit in is they solve the, they help solve the pollution problem. They're, they're one of the, you know, many ingredients to that. Mm-hmm. But the congestion problem has to do with proximity. It has to do with having mixed use spaces close to people's homes so that if you need to pick up eggs and milk and a loaf of bread, you can do so without getting into your car anywhere you are in our city. Like if you're within a mile of that, you would be able to get there without a car if that was your desire. So how do, how do we make people feel comfortable with the idea of being able to walk to places? Uh, as an example, I live in Middleton right now. Uh, 
it would be nice to walk to the mall. It's close enough to walk to the mall. The problem is getting from, you know, a Red Cliffs Parkway through Gateway on foot and then over to the mall is not a real appealing proposition. In fact, my wife told me, I'm going I'm to walk over to the mall. I'm like, no, you're not. Right. Because it is not pedestrian friendly right now, that section there. So how do we get it so it is? So that's a great question. I actually met with Councilman Hughes and our traffic um, personnel from the city just like a couple months ago in Middleton with some of the residents that are your mm-hmm. neighbors because they were saying our kids can't even get safely from our home to their bus stop yeah. without having to walk out into the middle of the street because there's not enough sidewalk. There's disconnected sidewalks. So the answer is connectivity and that is what we work on every day is like even with our trail systems our trail system used to just be for recreation well now it can be used for transportation because we've been working so hard at connectivity so that if you live in little valley for instance right now the 3000 east construction project Mm -hmm. will get you a trail where you can exit your neighborhood get on a trail and you could get all the way downtown on a trail, if you so wish. Without without, having to go into a busy intersection. Correct, and same with Middleton. So right now we are looking at funding, connecting those sidewalks, because as you know, Andy, you've got little sections of sidewalks, and then you've got sections where people are parking their cars where the sidewalk would be, thus forcing the children walking to school out into the street. And my my, um, rule of thumb is that anything that we're doing transportation-wise Think about it as if it was your grandkids, (laughs) your kids, right? Like if we're doing work on a street and it's your grandkids house that faces that street, their front yard, what do you want your grandkids quality of life to be? I mean, and that's a Mm. good conversation to have about 700 South, you know, the people who live along 700 South, like how are we going to affect their quality of life and what's that going to look like in the future? And if we, if we allow it to be, um, you know, just auto traffic and we don't think about all the other interactions there, then what 700 South will end up being is either not a great place to live as a resident or not a great place to li- to have a business if it transitions to commercial because neither one will be very accessible. Right. So looking at it as a future um, project of, you know, do would I want to live there? You know what is a fun um, thing to think about is downtown Disney. Because downtown Disney was created like an old, walkable town. Downtown, where yeah. Right? Like back when we used to do it in a way that it was human-based. Mm-hmm. So the reason why everybody in the world loves to go to downtown Disney, or if you go visit any town or city in the world, where do you go? You don't drive out to their suburbs and drive around. Mm-mm. You go to their downtown, you park, you get out of your car, and you interact with with the people, the restaurants, the shops, you know, the hotels, whatever it is that's downtown in the walkable space. And so that is the human element of our transportation. Like how do we create transportation that actually gets humans interacting with humans? That's what matters. So, uh, I, obviously, I think our downtown here in St. George has really come a long way. I've been here since 1994 or three. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, I've been here almost 30 years. Uh, downtown St. George wasn't in in the mid 90s was not really a, a pleasant place to hang out. It, it wasn't. Right. We've been working hard on that, um, making it into a walkable space and the interesting part about that is that's really all about building wealth in the community. I mean, it's about health 
too. It's about keeping people healthy. But it's also, that's where wealth come f- comes from, is when people get out of their cars, they interact with our shops, they interact with our restaurants. So walkability is really a wealth-building strategy for a hmm. community. But I don't know if you've looked at the the latest things that they're saying um, about COVID. And like now that we're, we can look back at COVID and the communities that it affected the most, but it shows how much walkability and health um, helps people with their overall um, you know, longevity and health because COVID they were surprised when it didn't take over Africa. And then they realized it's because people walk so much. Like there's, there's Mm. not the obesity epidemic, you know, all of the things that we saw, the communities that we saw hit the hardest, they were expecting it to hit hardest in urban spaces. It hit hardest in rural spaces where people have to spend more time driving in the car, in the car. And in places where people walked a lot and they had that health benefit, hmm. it benefited them when it came to COVID. So that's kind of an interesting side note. Yeah, very fascinating. Uh, and and I, I have a feeling there's going to be more studies done when we I'm sure. figure out more <laughs> about that. All right, tell us about this award a little bit. You, you, now okay. is the time. Don't be humble. Tell me exactly <laughs> what, what the award is that you got and what it's all about. Okay, sure. So I received an award from Smart Growth America as one of their um, 2023 Complete Streets Changemakers is what it was called. Okay, cool. They gave that award out to 15 people nationally. And And the whole country. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that was really nice. Someone nominated me for that, but I don't really take credit for that. I mean, for me, it's just a statement about our community. It's really not about me. It's saying that our community is paying attention to complete streets. And St. George in 2021 adopted our complete streets policy that basically just requires the city to think of all modes of transportation when we're planning movement through our corridors around the city. So we think about streets, we think about bike lanes, we think about bus stops and crosswalks and median islands and pedestrian signals, curb extensions, streetscapes, landscape treatments. All those things play into how safe you are. Mm-hmm. using our streets. So um, it, it's really a way to um, reduce motor vehicle accidents and reduce pedestrian risk. So in, at the end of the day, it helps everyone. I just ran across one of the most interesting studies I've ever seen. And it talks about how much does your commute cost or save society? So if mm-hmm. you're commuting, if you look at all the overall costs to society, how much does your commuting cost or save society? And the analysis is basically if you walk, every, for every dollar it costs you to walk, society pays one cent. Okay. If you're biking and it costs you a dollar, society pays eight cents. If you're on the bus and it costs you a dollar, society pays a dollar fifty. If you're driving in a car and it costs for every dollar it costs you to drive into your car, society pays, this is crazy, $9.20. Wow. So driving wow. a car is the most subsidized thing that we do. For transportation, because if you look at all the costs to society for driving cars, the air quality things that we have to pay for, the health risks, all the accidents, the road our, building, all the that, road yeah. building, the road maintenance is the even mm-hmm. more. The building is the beginning. The maintenance is the part that gets crazy. Right. Yeah. And then the health risks. I mean, our accidents on our city streets have grown exponentially. The amount of money we pay for our police departments to investigate all those accidents, to clean up those accidents, the the health 
you know, I have friends who've been in car accidents. I had a, I have a friend who got in a car accident recently, maybe six months ago. She still can't drive because she's in so much pain. Well, I, I, I was in a motorcycle wreck five years ago. And my leg is still messed up. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. I'm sorry. So you understand. I mean, yeah. that not that wild? Like, when we talk about supplementing, when we talk about, you know, social programs, we're, you know, we never think of our roads and us driving as being something that society has to supplement us for. But I thought that was one of the most interesting studies I've ever read. We still have uh, people who, and this is not a criticism, but there are people that live in Central or or even Enterprise or Vail, whatever. They drive to St. George every day. They, that's, that's a major commute. And you can't do that <laughs> commute. Well, you could on bicycle, I guess, but it would take you a while. You oh, could yeah. walk. It would take a while. And in the snowstorm, it would be really not Yeah, days like fun. today, you might freeze to death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, is there an? I mean, are we do are, as a city council? As is just a, you personally are trying to discourage living so far away from where you work, or are we trying to just find a better way? What do you think? Well, I mean, I feel like we just want to give people options. I mean, I don't ever want to tell someone they can't live in Central and commute into St. George. That's their right. Yeah. It's just that the more people that choose to do that, if you're one of those people that lives in Central, and the more people who choose to join you in that, and you all have to drive to St. George, I mean, just the math of that is obvious, right? Then we end up with a congested space, and how do we overcome that? And the reality is, driving from Central into St. George, in a sense, is a luxury, because to be able to afford the gas, and the car, and the car that's going to have a lot of miles on it. And the insurance, and the the tires, and all that stuff. All of it. Cars are one of the most expensive things. I think I read that most people pay somewhere between eight and $10,000 a year per car, hmm. you know, and that's, that's an average over the entire nation. So, I mean, some people are paying way more than that if they have expensive sure. cars. That's factoring in like these really low, lower cost cars. So anyway, I just think that that's an expense that a lot of people don't have the luxury to afford. And so if you work in a restaurant in St. George and you're making, you know, what is it? What do we pay our restaurant servers? $2 something an hour. Yeah, and then they are reliant on tips. Yeah. And do you have the luxury of being able to drive that far? Are you going to spend all of your money on travel miles? Good point. So, you know, it's just being able to have, I don't think we're trying to tell people what they have to do. We're trying to give people as many options as possible so that they can make healthy, smart choices. So it's a it's a big issue and something we don't much think about. Right. Uh, but I guess Danielle Larkin, city council person, has to think about stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's always on our mind. I, you know, I brought a few documents today, Andy. You know, um, we have our Dixie Metropolitan Planning Organization, and we have our Regional Transportation Plan. So there's that. I have our active transportation plan for the city of St. George. I have the unified transportation plan for the state. I mean, you can see like there are so many documents out there that are all trying to help us to make smart transportation decisions. And it's, it's because if we look into the future, we realize that we can't continue doing what we're doing right now, this model that we're doing right now in perpetuity. Or like I said at the beginning of the program, we're following the exact same model that Los Mm -hmm. Angeles followed and we become Los Angeles, which is what people claim to be fleeing. We we don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, Before we get to all that, and by the way, Danielle does do her homework. Uh, what do you call yourself? A nerd? I am to, a nerd. Your cousin, you're a nerd. You, you like to be prepared. That's a good yeah. thing. Uh, let's take a time out. We're going to uh, check in with weather and uh, get a couple of commercial breaks in. And then we'll be back. The Andy Griffin Show with Danielle Larkin today. 
Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news. Always on the Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU. Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for listening to the Andy Griffin Show. I'm here every day. I actually come in starting at 6 o'clock here. I come in about 5 and get ready. Uh, but uh, we're on the air at 6 o'clock. And then 9 to 10 is the call-in show. And on Thursdays, it's Mayor Thursday. Now we have Mayor Danielle. No, wait a minute. We don't have Mayor Danielle Larkin on because she's not a mayor, That's at right. least not yet. But uh, Ms. Mayor Michelle Randall was going to come in with Danielle today. That was kind of the original plan. But uh, Michelle is sick, and uh, we wish her the best. Hope she gets feeling better. But, Danielle, thank you for coming anyway. Happy to be here. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate you uh, being here. Uh City council uh, job. Somebody was joking uh, just a few minutes ago. Yeah, they make so much money on city council. <laughs> <laughs> you do not. And, and in fact, it's a job that it's kind of like being a referee in, in sports. <laughs> it's a job because a lot of people have opinions about what you're doing wrong. Uh, very rarely do they tell you what you're doing right. Uh, everybody has their opinion on, on what you screwed up. And you don't get paid very much to do it. So why, Danielle, why would you want to be a city council person? (laughs) It's a really great question, and I get asked that all the time. Mm -hmm. And for me, there's only one reason. I just love where I live. St. George is such a beautiful and magnificent place to Mm -hmm. live, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to live here. And I feel like we all pitch in in certain ways. And when I had the opportunity to run a few years ago, I just figured, well, I'll win or I'll lose, and I'm good either way, but I feel like I have the opportunity to at least show up and help contribute to the positive conversation about how we can go forward in a positive way. I want my kids to be able to live here if they choose to do so. I want people from California to be able to live here if they Mm -hmm. choose to do so. I mean, we kind of made a comment about that earlier. To me, anyone and everyone is welcome. In fact, some of my most favorite people, some of the best people in the world that I've met in St. George and that have contributed more than anybody that I know are people who've come from other states Mm -hmm. and they recognize the beauty here. They're like our biggest community advocates and builders. And so I'll be honest, I get tired of people saying negative things about Californians. You know, if you want to speak, if you want to speak however you wish about the politics of California, so be it. But speaking negatively about people who come from other places or who are different in any way is one of the reasons why I ran for city council, because I want everyone, everyone has the opportunity and the right to feel welcome in St. George. Well, it's funny because you can generalize and stereotype, uh, well, Californians are coming and doing this and ruining that. And but, but the truth of the matter is that the biggest problem with California, and Californians, a lot of them will tell you this, is the politics of California, not the, not the location. California, like I said, is, it's, it's beautiful. It is, gorgeous. It is a, a gorgeous place. I love, you know, me personally, I love San Diego. My wife and I have been there a few times. I love Coronado Island. Uh, just a great place to hang out, the ocean, the beach. I mean, it, it's it's a fantastic place, but uh, then you get the politics of it. And that's why a lot of people, in fact, 700,000 people have left California in the last two plus years yeah. to live in other states, live in other areas. And I say we welcome them. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that's the beauty, as we spoke of earlier, is we have the right to move around in our country to go where we want to go. And I, I always find it funny when we feel that right for ourselves. But then as we project it to someone else, we feel like, hey, don't come here. And that just isn't right. The old not in my backyard kind of thing. Can we shut the door? We we got here. Can we shut the door now and not let other people in? No, we can't do that. 
Right. Uh, and and that it's weird because I find myself even doing that, uh, whether it's, you know, the physical attribute or, or some kind of, you know, financial attribute. You know, my, one of my kids is struggling financially right now. I'm like, you know, why can't you just do this? And I'm like, well, I didn't do that when I was their age, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Sure. So why sure. do I expect them to do that? <laughs> Uh, it's, we, we, we do that sometimes. Absolutely. I even see it out in our open spaces. You know, I, I love our open spaces and it's so important for us to take good care of them and preserve them for the future, but we share them and I'll hear people say, you know, oh, this trail is getting crowded and they know that because they're out on the trail, but they don't want to see anybody else on the trail. <laughs> Trail's and, crowded. Get off of it, people. Yeah, it's mine. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like as humans, sometimes that's our nature. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're talking transportation today with City Council Person Danielle Larkin. Danielle, again, thanks for coming on today. Uh, somebody sent me a text about a 15-minute city or 15-minute town. What does that mean? A 15-minute city is a space where within 15 minutes you can get to everything that you could possibly need. So you okay. have you know access to work and food and you know just just those walking, necessities. 15 minutes walking um, 15 minute city is usually whatever. that's you how it's usually referenced like however you choose to get around is that you could get the things that you need within 15 minutes so it's it's kind of a you know thirty thousand foot concept it obviously doesn't always work perfectly but the idea is what we were talking about earlier which is kind of those mixed use centers where you have the opportunity if you so choose to be able to live work and play in close proximity to your home so that you don't require automobile travel. Okay. Uh, just got a text. Uh, we were talking about <clears throat> welcoming people here. Somebody said, what about illegals? So people who are in the country illegally. I know that's kind of a touchy topic, and we won't spend a lot of time on this, but we should at least answer their text. Sure. it's. I mean, that's always a challenge. We need immigration, but we need legal immigration. So I feel like as a nation, we're always trying to work through that in a way that is humane and is smart. We're very dependent on immigrants to come and help build our nation. We know that, but we absolutely need them to come legally. So, legally. Yes. Yeah. So how do we how do we do that? And we haven't really solved that yet, have we? And so no. we're it's it's a work in progress. I have a nephew who is married to uh, a girl from Mexico, but uh, she went through the steps to become a legal American. Very proud. Uh, I have a friend, uh, you know, Jack Lancaster. His wife is now a legal American. She's from Mexico, and uh, they follow the step. No, it wasn't easy, but it's not supposed to be easy, right? Right. I have a nephew here from Ukraine, and so we had to, he was adopted and had to go through the whole mm. process. And yes, I mean, people, that's that's what America, America was built on, immigrants. But yeah. we we have a system, and we need to, It's it's a challenge. I, I won't even pretend to have the answers to that. I think we've been trying to figure out how to regulate legal immigration and have it be health and safe and humane. The humane part of it's really important. And I think that's where, you know, we get hung up sometimes is if people are in danger, how do we help them? We don't always have the answer. Bringing them here isn't always the answer. Sometimes helping them to exist in their countries is a better answer. And I mean, I guess we could talk about that all day. That's really complex. Yeah. Let's uh, let's stick with transportation a little bit, though. We're talking about Complete Street. We're talking about a, a walkable city or a city where everything is relatively close. What are some things that St. George has done to that end? 
So St. George has been really um, proactive in this. Many years ago, Kent Perkins was the director of parks for mm-hmm. St. George, and he was the one, he and um, Gary who Gary Esplin, who was the city manager at the time, I think they collaborated to create the first trail um, in St. George, and it was more of a recreational idea. But um, our trails over time have become not just for recreation, but for transportation, and that's due to connectivity. So what we've really focused on in St. George is creating connectivity through our trail systems, even through um, routes to be able to use on the road, whether that be sidewalks or bike um, lanes on our roads mm-hmm. so that you can safely navigate our systems. So St. George has done a ton. We have 60 miles, 60 plus miles just in the city of St. George right now of trails. And they're one of our lower maintenance part considered basically parks facilities, but they really should be considered parks slash transportation facilities because they are both. And um, they are our highest rated by both visitors and locals that's the thing that every time we put out a survey that's rated as the thing that people appreciate the most and they want to see more of we've also been working so as to connectivity st george washington county has a challenge which is mountains hills Mm -hmm. streams we have i-15 right so all of that creates pinch points that are challenging for transportation with Mm -hmm. our roads and our trails so working for that connectivity is the reason why we did things like the collaboration with UDOT for the tunnel, two, two collaborations with UDOT so far, the tunnel under 400 South from the university connecting university students um, on the east side of I-15 going underneath 400 South. I don't know if you've ever been over there and used that, but it's a lot of fun to see how heavily used it is because it was really challenging if you lived on that east side. You basically were forced to drive to class yeah. or to walk all the way down to 700 south walk around which doesn't feel like a real safe walking commute it's just heavily used all day long now and it's a lot of fun to see and then the next collaboration was under bluff street yeah also a big connector because the confluence park you know down there below the dixie center is one of our main trail hubs where a lot of trails come in and so now you can go from there go under Bluff Street, and come straight up into town. Did, did you get, when you were putting that together, did you get pushback? Were there people saying, What's the, this is stupid, why, why are we doing this? Yeah, I think people who are, you know, still struggling with autocentric thinking, and mm-hmm. they think that everyone has a car, and everyone should have a car, and everything should be about cars. Um, but, you know, go back to the what I shared with you earlier. How much does our do our commutes cost society? So should we really be focusing hmm. on everybody having to have a car and society supplementing them $9.20? Or should we be saying, you know, equitably people should be able to use other forms of transportation and it will actually save society money in the long run, save us money, save us, you know, health, make our quality of life better. So... Yes, sometimes there's pushback on those kind of things, but if same thing, if you go down and see how heavily that's used now, and it's kind of a build it and they will come type of mentality. If if our transit isn't dependable, people won't use it. Right. If it's dependable and accessible, they will use it, and they'll especially use it if they would prefer not to be stuck in traffic, right? Yeah, sure. So, um, Suntran now. When I when I first moved here, we had public transit, SunTran. We and it just didn't feel like. And and again, we're talking thirty years ago. But it didn't feel like St. George was really quite big enough for mass transit. Uh, we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
how is Suntran prepared and ready for what's happening in this town as we move forward? How important is it going to be? Are we prepared? I would say yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. Um, we need to be prepared, and we're working on being prepared. Um, it's one of those investments that, like I said, you know, if you're riding the bus and it costs you a dollar, society pays a dollar fifty as opposed to nine dollars and twenty cents for a car, for a car right? Yeah. So if we look at the investment over time, it's worth it. It's also one of those things, just like biking or walking, that usually will take the path of least resistance. So mm-hmm. most people won't ride the bus until that's the easier way to go. Right. So sure. getting over that hill where, <laughs> you know, it's easier to just drive or it's easier to do something else when we get to a point. But the bus system has to be in place. So that's another build it and they will come. It has to be dependable and it has to be in place. So when you say, are we ready? We're working on it. Um, I think it's still challenging to ride the bus. Our bus system doesn't run on Sundays. I think that's a huge problem. You know, a lot of people who are dependent on it need to work on Sunday, need to get places on Sunday, and we're not taking them places on Sunday. Well, I might as well buy a car. I can't take the bus on Sunday, right? That's that's the mentality. And something they've been doing in Salt Lake City that's been really um, beneficial that I'd like to see us test out is that idea of the smaller buses. So you're not investing in these expensive buses, but it's more like little vans. And, you know, you can hmm. you can use those on Sundays. So maybe just um, we'll be looking at more creative ideas. I'm sure that you've heard that this system is expanding all the way out to Zion National right. Park, which right. will be if people and it's like, will people use it? Well, they'll use it if it's easier than driving out there. So Agreed, that's yeah. where we have to look at, you know, hmm. making it the best way. Making it the best way to get out there is what we should be shooting for. All right. We're going to take a quick time out more with Danielle Larkin. This is the Andy Griffin Show on KDXU. It's 950. This is the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 92.5 KDXU. Stay tuned for Clay and Buck coming up next. Welcome back. Short on time. Believe it or not, Danielle, this show, I, I tell people when they come in, they're like, oh, how are we going to fill the whole hour? It goes so fast. Very fast. It, it really does. Uh, all right. Let's answer some texts uh, for folks that wanted to chime in on some things. Uh, okay. You want to welcome more and more people while also telling us to drive less and that we're running out of water. It makes no sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's all true. And those are, those are our challenges, right? Like we do, we have to conserve water. I mean, strictly limiting development and telling people they can't come here also has these really nasty side effects called inflated housing prices and mm-hmm. long commutes. Mm-hmm. So I certainly don't think that we don't, we don't have any easy solutions, we're to the hard solutions spot, and we do. We have major water issues that we have to figure out. How are we going to conserve? Also, you know, really shutting down our economy overnight would be shutting down housing overnight. So yeah, we're, we're in a challenging space. My, I have a daughter who uh, refuses to take pills. And uh, right before she left on her mission, she had to have her wisdom teeth out. After her wisdom teeth came out, her mouth hurt so bad. And I'm like, well, you know, they gave us some some painkiller. All you have to do is swallow those. It's like, okay, I can do the hard thing and swallow these pills, or I can sit there and suffer with the pain of uh, of having your wisdom teeth out. Sometimes it's hard to swallow those pills, but it's got to be done, huh? Great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it does not have a happy ending. She re- she refused to swallow the pills and lived with the, the tooth pain instead for a while. Tough, so, tough girl. It was a good analogy right up until the <laughs> ending, and then it became a really bad analogy. Uh, another text, we need grocery stores in Little Valley, please. 
That is absolutely true. And um, when Little Valley was being contemplated as a suburban space, most of the neighbors came out. There there was um, zoning for commercial right out in the middle of Little Valley, and the neighborhood didn't want it. And no. so that's kind of an example of things that we think we don't want that we then regret you know, mm-hmm. not keeping in place. And that's something the city council is very cognizant of is keeping those commercial spaces, you know, within a reasonable distance of all of our residential spaces so that people don't end up in those kind of situations where they're way out in suburban sprawl and they are forced to drive to grocery stores. Uh, another one, uh, this is from Mary Ann, says uh, her husband, Doug, says at the Transportation Expo, we learned that they'll be completing the bike trail from Cottonwood Cove Park to Valley View. That takes bikers off of Dixie Drive, which is absolutely wonderful. And then they say thanks to Danielle, too. For- well, Andy, that's been one of our missing links that the city's been working on for years, trying to acquire the property. And it was affected by the flooding so they had an initial, um, you know, thoroughfare that they planned to do the trail on, and then the flooding changed that. They had to change the alignment of the trail, and then they couldn't acquire the property. So that's taken years. But those kind of missing links are the things that make a big difference because then people really can um, adequately use our trail system as a transportation system as well as a recreation system, and it's reliable because the the miles are there. You don't run into something like at Cottonwood Cove right now where you, you hit Cottonwood Cove and then you have to go out onto Dixie Drive, which feels really sketchy if you're yeah. on a bike, even yeah, walking. No, yeah. You know, the, the, the speed of the traffic on Dixie Drive is too high, so... Okay, I want to go off topic for a second, uh, and I, I, I forget who I... Maybe I asked the water guy, this is Zach or something, but I see people building in what, Daniel, you and I have been here a long time. We saw the houses fall into the river. We saw people building on river plains and watching their houses get washed away. It seems like that's happening again. People that maybe didn't even know about that stuff or people that forgot about that stuff are building houses in places that are going to be flooded. Is there anything the city council can do about that? Do they have any control or power? Well, yes and no. It's something that I feel really strongly about. I feel like preservation of our river corridors is one should be one of our top priorities. Unfortunately, many of those river corridors are privately owned. Mm. And the other unfortunate thing is that FEMA will often allow people to come back and re- Zone so that they'll allow you to reapply for moving the the flood zone, and I don't like that. I would like for us to you know figure out ways to purchase those properties along the river so that we have that river corridor preserved. It it is a really challenging um, thing. So yes and no. I mean we we should be working towards that goal, but we don't really ultimately have power when it is private property. And people are building, you know, structures sometimes in places they've had the flood zone moved by FEMA and they allow that. And then it's unfortunate when we have real flooding and surprise, they're still in the flood zone. So I I mean, I hate to sound heartless, but if someone builds on an area that, you know, you just look at it, you can tell when you look at a place, wow, this could get flooded at some point. And everybody said, well, it's a once in a lifetime or once in a hundred year floods. Well, those once in a hundred year floods seem to come every 10 to 15, 20 years <laughs> yeah, they do. and, and houses are going to wash away. And, and I'm like, look, 
I didn't build there because I could see that. What was wrong with you? Why did you build? And like I said, I sound a little bit heartless when I say that, but I kind of feel that way. So. Well, you know, we talk about this all the time on council. Um, we're, we're down to the more challenging spaces to build, right? We've built in all the easy spaces. Yeah. So we're going to see that type of thing where people are trying to build in the more challenging spaces, many of which should not be built on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to buy a house that had a big goalie behind it as part of the property. And uh, I, I looked at it and I said, you know, I, it may never flood. It may, may not, may not five years, 10 years, 20, it may never flood, but it might too. It looks like it did once at right. least. So, uh, if you can believe it, we already used up our time. Anything you want to mention before we let, before we let you go, Danielle? No, I just appreciate the conversation. Thank you for having me. And I pushed the wrong button. I'm going to play my Annie Griffith theme instead. There we go. We're out of time. Danielle Larkin, not mayor, but uh, she's representing the city council. Thank you, Danielle, for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. That's it for the Annie Griffin Show. Open lines tomorrow. We'll try to not talk about voting machines, though, if we can help it. We'll talk to you then.